Hey, I'm Patrick Basler, a senior staff writer with DBK Diversions. This Tuesday is Valentine's Day, so if you're listening to The Dive, I'm sorry. But also, we're glad you're here. When we were putting together this week's show, we considered doing a Valentine's Day episode, but over a bag of sour, heart-shaped candies, we decided that that would be too sad. Instead, this episode is all about love-hate. You know those things you despise but can't live without? Today on the show, we have stories about whether people love or hate La La Land, some Valentine's Day disasters, and a discussion about evil characters on Game of Thrones. But before any of that, here's a list of things I love-hate. Sports. My dentist, she's great, but I am not into tooth doctors. My roommate, Brian. Jackson Pollock. This podcast. My dog, he bit me once. The music of Britney Spears. John Hamm since he started doing those H&R Block commercials. And fast casual dining. Wow, thank you. Alright, well first up on the dive, we have Maeve Dunnigan on perhaps the most love-hated movie of the year, La La Land. Hi, I'm Maeve Dunnigan, staff writer for Diversions. Lately I've been thinking a lot about the divisiveness of La La Land, the Oscars Best Picture nominee and Golden Globes winner starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Rex Reed for Observer described it as good-intentioned but overrated, while Mark Kermode for The Guardian described it as a magical love letter to the golden age of Hollywood. John Nolt at The Daily Wire thought the film was an average flick with a fantastic ending, but our own Michael Errico thought the story was near perfect. I wanted the truth straight from the mouths of the people, so I decided to consult the most dependable and knowledgeable demographic I know, whoever happens to be sitting on McKeldin Mall on a given day. Luckily, the day I chose was unseasonably warm, so there were plenty of unsuspecting interviewees to choose from. Armed with a recorder and just enough confidence, I surprised students on the mall by asking them one simple question. Is the movie La La Land good or bad? Here's what happened. Is La La Land bad or good? It's good. I thought it was really good. Good? Good? idea. <laughs> Haven't seen it or just I have no opinion? I haven't seen it. Excuse me. Yeah. Is the movie La La Land good? I haven't seen it. I've heard it's good. But I've heard it's good. It is nominated for Best Picture. So. Wait, the other one. That, that other one. For the, uh, the Golden Globe? Yeah. It did win the Golden Globe. Yes. Did any of you see and enjoy the movie La La Land? Um, is it good or bad? Good? It's alright. It's alright? It's like really slow at the beginning, but it gets better at the end, mm-hmm. in my personal opinion. Have you seen the movie La La Land? No. You haven't seen it? No. Starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone? Yeah, I don't know if I actually haven't seen it. Sorry. Thank you so much. Never Sorry, do you plan on seeing it? I actually never heard of it. I would just like to take a moment to clarify that, yes, not only had this girl not seen the movie, she somehow did not even know what it was. I tried to help. <laughs> Is it like, <laughs> what's it about? Uh, he likes jazz and she wants to be an actress and there's dancing in it. 
Well, there you have it, folks. Quite possibly the worst and most simplistic description of La La Land there ever was. But is La La Land good, or is it actually bad? I... I don't know. That was Maeve Dunnigan. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and our next segment is a trio of stories about love in all its awkward glory. Well, you think this is gonna be one of those stories. A sad, lonely girl eats ice cream on the couch. She doesn't have anyone to give her flowers on Valentine's Day, but in fact, last year, that wasn't the case. I had a boyfriend, generally a happy fellow, And no, he wasn't deployed in the military, he wasn't studying abroad, he wasn't doing anything really that prevented him from spending Valentine's Day with me. In fact, he planned a Valentine's Day. He planned a wonderful evening with a dinner and a show. I never made it to the comedy show. And that was because I was never invited. He planned a dinner and a date in the city on Valentine's Day for him and his best friend from high school. And now you're probably thinking, well, it sounds bad, but couldn't you have third-wheeled this dinner and show date? And, well... The number one reason why I couldn't have is because I simply was not invited. But beyond that, would you really want to go watch your boyfriend share a dessert and laugh with another man? (laughs) No, I didn't. Isn't that unbelievable? And that is my story of Valentine's Day 2015. So in 2014, uh, if you remember, there was a really big snowstorm. I'm pretty sure that we got classes off for like a week. That might be an exaggeration, but it's Maryland, so maybe not. Um, And it it really messed stuff up. My boyfriend at the time was supposed to come and visit, but it wasn't really an option because he went to school in Vermont um, and the weather made it impossible. So instead, he did something really sweet. as you know, a freshman in college, it's it's really nice to get things from your boyfriend uh, on Valentine's Day. But this particular Valentine's Day, it might have been a little bit too much. As you guys know, you get an email when you get a package, and it's it's a cool thing, especially when it's a surprise. So I got the email. I went over to Queen Anne's, which is where my mail uh, was delivered to freshman year, and I saw this huge bouquet of roses there, which is awesome and great, and I was really flattered. And I thought, wow, that that was really nice. I texted my boyfriend. Um, he was glad that I got it. And then a few hours later. I got another email that I got another package. I I texted my boyfriend at the time, said, hey, uh, did you send me something else? And he, he, he did, so it was all cool. It checked out, got some Sherry's Berries, roommates were thrilled, um, and I thought that was the end of it. But apparently the snowstorm had gotten some things confused and they didn't think that they delivered the packages or that they weren't delivered on time. So I ended up getting another email the next day 
walked outside, trudged through the snow in my, undoubtedly I was wearing Uggs, in my Uggs, uh, another bouquet of flowers. I texted my boyfriend at the time and I was like, hey, did you send me another bouquet of flowers? He said no, but I thought, hey, you know, this is kind of cool. You know, without fail, a, a few hours later, I got another email that had another package and it was another order of Sherry's Berries. And you know, we thought it was the coolest thing ever, my roommate and I, but we opened that package and they were all kind of expired. So we didn't really know what to do. Uh, we put some in the fridge in hopes of saving them. The rest we just threw away and thought it was over. But sure enough, I think a few days later, the, the last one took about two days. I got an email, walked to Queen Anne's. At this point, I know exactly what I'm in for a box full of moldy Sherry's Berries. It was a good Valentine's Day, but I don't think I'll be able to eat Sherry's Berries ever again. This is a story about a romantic gesture gone completely wrong. It was freezing, it was snowing, and it was just a complete disaster. No, it's not my Valentine's Day story. It's my friend. Rachel's. I wouldn't recommend scavenger hunts, but maybe they could work out. My experience was horrible, and I don't recommend it. You can probably assume that Rachel had to take part in a bad scavenger hunt on Valentine's Day. And it's worth mentioning that her birthday is also on Valentine's Day, so it was double the holiday letdown. Here's some background from my point of view, as Rachel's friend. One day, I get a text from her boyfriend of the time. It seemed urgent. It was something like, I need you to call me now. So I call him. I'm actually kind of nervous, and he just kind of shouted at me. Don't make plans with Rachel on her birthday. Ah, okay, I said. And then I think he wanted me to ask why, but I didn't really want to stay on the phone, but he went on anyways. And he had this huge plan to take her on this scavenger hunt, where she would have to go outside and find clues. Blah, blah, blah. Cute, cute, cute. I immediately knew she would hate it. And it was February, and looking back at the temperature, there was a high of 37 and a low of 14, and I think it snowed a ton that day. But anyways, the scavenger hunt started at her parents' house. Her boyfriend presented her with a note and instructed her to read it in front of her parents. And so I read this note, it's like, I'm taking Rachel on a scavenger hunt. And my parents were probably thinking, oh my god, she's gonna hate it. And she did hate it, because on this cold February birthday Valentine's Day, Rachel had to drive all over town and participate in a scavenger hunt she never wanted. Like I would drive to one place and it would take like 15 minutes to get there and it would just be a note. And then the note would say, drive 15 more minutes to this place. If you're thinking this doesn't sound bad, keep in mind that most of these places were completely random. One of them was in a bookstore, one of like the surprises. And I was like, I hate books. You know, I don't like books. I was like, why would you take me here? And it was like, it was a really far away. And it didn't stop there. And one was in... Um, a bar where he went out to drink and I was too young at the time so I couldn't even get a drink and I just sat there and watched him. It's safe to say the scavenger hunt did not go according to his plan. I was starting to like him less and less throughout the entire day and I actually knew at one point I was like all right this is it this is the end like I need to break up with him. And after a cold and ambitious day of scavenging, Rachel thought it was over. I thought it was over, and then he was like, oh no, there's the last part, and we went to the mall. He took her to the mall and had her search for this dress. Apparently he had gotten the staff at the store to play along. It didn't fit me right. It was just, like, horrible. The, the workers were laughing, like, what is this? What does this guy think he's doing? Like, she doesn't lose a horrible idea. <laughs> after that, 
they went home. At the end, when we got back to my house, he was like, and I have one more surprise for you. And I said, I was like, no, thank you. I don't, I don't need it. I think that wraps up one of the more sad Valentine's Day activity attempts. But should people listen to Rachel's tale when attempting a romantic scavenger hunt? Maybe it would have been cute in like the summer. Maybe. Maybe it would have. But anyway, I'm Jay Reed, and this story has made me feel a little bit better about the fact that no one has ever tried to take me on a romantic scavenger hunt. Whatever. I hear it's terrible anyways. That was Anna Muckerman, Danielle Ohl, and Jay Reed. Our final segment is about the importance of TV characters we love to hate. John Powers and Michael Arrigo sat down to talk about two such characters in the HBO series Game of Thrones. here to talk about an article you wrote, what, two weeks ago? Roughly, yeah, two weeks ago, so right at the start of the semester. Well, let's start formally. John Powers, staff writer, DPK Diversions here. Hello, everyone. Uh, and you wrote, uh, right when we got back, yeah, from winter break, you wrote something uh, about not just Game of Thrones, but we're going to talk a good amount about Game of Thrones today, but about television um, and television characters, particularly bad characters. I think the headline was awfully important. Why... Why, the need for bad characters. Yeah, like just sort of the 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 under uh, underappreciated need for characters that we grow to hate uh, in television. Uh, Game of Thrones has some excellent excellent case studies for this discussion. Right. Let me take a second to set some guidelines for our talk here. I am a Game of Thrones newcomer, uh, doing part to yours and other people's urging. I start watching over winter break. I just finished season five two days ago. So hopefully you don't spoil anything about the the sixth and most recent season, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll stick to talking about some of the larger arcs of the show um, and about bad characters. So I want to get first though before we start talking about examples, let's talk about your point. Right. Um, so basically in your article, which I would recommend everyone to go read, but you talked about the importance of what you called morally definite characters. I mean, we can all agree that morally ambiguous ambiguous characters are the ones that you know get a lot of attention and we spend a lot of time thinking about them and talking about them and stuff Absolutely. like that. Yeah. And those are complex because people are complex and we want to see characters represent the same way. And you can certainly, when you're talking about the golden age of television, it's almost defined by morally ambiguous characters, namely the antihero. I mean, we, we I've read a million TV think pieces about the importance of the antihero. You've got some like Tony Soprano, Don Draper, whatever. They exist everywhere. What's more rare, I think, one thing you're pointing out in your article, is someone that is clearly just not good you right. know, to, to, to the core. To, to embody evil isn't necessarily something that's interesting inherently uh, for that character. You understand their motives. They're motivated by hate, maybe jealousy. Name any of the seven deadly sins and that could be their motives, but it's not... It's not wildly complicated. Gluttony. Gluttony is very rare, but uh, it's in rare some that cases, you find that character that's just pure gluttony. Just pure <laughs> gluttony embodied. Um, <laughs> but but you sort of uh, the whole point that I, I make is uh, we're we're talking about shows where the moral scale 
is sort of vastly different from the one that we live with today. Uh, in Game of Thrones, some morally pure characters are killers. Uh, in our world, if there was someone who killed people vigilante style, maybe there would be some level of support for them, but at Batman, the same time... Yeah. yeah, Batman. But at the same time, as you see in the Batman uh, films and cartoons, everything, uh, there is some public backlash against someone who just gets to kill uh, people that they perceive to be Remember, they chase Batman unjustly. at the end of uh, They do. Dark he's the hero. Uh, he's not scenes. the hero they, they, they deserve. deserve. He's the hero, the hero they, need. they need right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so you have, uh, someone who would be a vigilante, uh, who's acting purely positive, uh, for, with positive motives and with honorable motives, that person, uh, in our world would be looked at as kind of crazy and we need to get a hold of that. But in the Game of Thrones world, for example, someone like Brienne of Tarth kills many people throughout right. the series. Uh, some... yet she is the closest thing. Or one of the closer things right. that we have to someone that's easy to root for. Exactly, uh, someone who embodies honor, who who does things with a purpose uh, that is not inherently selfish. Their purpose is to uphold their vows uh, for someone that they believe represents right. the greater good. Someone in the Game of Thrones royalty uh, that she believes will try to bring peace, prosperity, right. and happiness to the world of Game of Thrones. You're thinking of bad. Uh, Purely bad character on Game of Thrones. First name that comes to mind. Who, who do you think of? Ramsay. Don't worry. The North remembers. I punished him for it. He's not Ironborn anymore. Not Theon Greyjoy anymore. He's a new man. A new person. Anyway. Aren't you Reek? His master. That's his new name. Reek. Why are you doing this? Because Reek has something to say to you. Don't you, Reek? Over Joffrey. Yes. Here's why. Joffrey... I think we could certainly discuss both these characters. I think they could right. both... You're saying, but Joffrey could qualify, Oh, absolutely. Right? Joffrey okay. is the is Anyone the else, though? Because those are the two big for me. But before we jump right. into them, is there anyone else that would even come to mind? That's See, that's, that's a certain tier because there's a certain... Uh, you know, you look at someone like the Mountain, and while uh, while he represents pure carnage and destruction, right. uh, it it he's it's uh, I believe Tywin calls him a dog. Right. Uh, he's just someone that it's. Do you blame the dog for attacking someone or the master right. who who drew up the scheme to release the the dog and have it go commit chaos? Yeah. I don't think there's uh, I don't think there's necessarily maniacal thoughts in the mountain's mind. I think he just enjoys killing, sure. which is a, its own thing. And but to the show's credit, as with a lot of good shows, there are a lot of characters that start out and you're thinking this person's pure evil and then they reveal themselves as something a little bit more complex, which makes that trope of many shows doing that makes their insistence upon the pure evil of Ramsey and Joffrey, mm -hmm. uh, the two young boys, yeah. uh, even more interesting because yeah, you start out with someone out. like the hound and you're like you know what fuck that dude yeah, like he is the worst weird. yeah like and then he really shows himself to be a little bit more complex right. in his season long mm -hmm. walking with Arya and right stuff like that right. uh same with cersei lannister mm -hmm. uh clearly a terrible person right but you know they reveal a lot of things about her um and by that by the time which quick tangent um 
within the season five finale, I think the reason that they spend like what 14 unbroken minutes with her walking through this crowd, just shame, shame, shame is because you need that much time to undo in your viewer's mind the terrible thing. She right. The last three episodes before she was thrown in um, to the, uh, obviously at the beginning of the thing, we should have said spoilers, but who cares? Um, <laughs> before she's thrown into the jail, she's Whoa, on a... Whoa, sh- spoilers! <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, she's on a real run of, of being terrible. terrible things, yeah. Right? So so as a viewer, you're up, up to it. To hear yeah, with her, you exactly. know what I'm saying. Yeah. So you really need uh, an intense, long undoing right. of all that to finally um, empathize with her, right? And just be and, like, oh man. But those moments never really come for Joffrey. Not right? at all. At- so, so, but also, I would, ar- I would almost argue. Um, so my point where we see Ramsay and we see Joffrey, I when I when I think of Joffrey, I think of uh, has had a pretty pretty. Uh, not the, I mean, Game of Thrones, you know, pr- uh, royalty privilege perspective, not the best childhood, uh, clearly has something wrong with him. Uh, in incest is sort of, uh, spoiler, uh, incest is sort we of, can stop doing that we can stop doing it. That's fair. Uh, incest has sort of, uh, given him this certain level of madness that I don't know if you can necessarily blame him directly for. Obviously we can judge him for it, but, it's also uh, raised uh, extremely rich, extremely right. powerful, right. heir to the throne. Right. Um, so that affects obviously uh-huh. the holding of a young young boy. And it's arrogance. He's clearly he's clearly been shown what a king is supposed to be and what he's supposed to do in his mind. Uh, and so he's had all these influences. Now I suppose you could argue the other side of that that Ramsay has been brought up in a household of of hate as well, but. Um, but I would I would say Ramsey has more. Uh, he goes beyond what he's been, how he's been raised to live in his evilness. Even Roose Bolton uh, is like, whoa, dude. Like, yeah, Roose Bolton. Like, he's tell, like, like his sons. So yeah, I think that that like Ramsey Bolton, from the moment we like are truly introduced to him, it's it's in the scene where Theon's on the whatever thing, and so he's yeah. he's already in a position of. A power, mm-hmm. he has the upper hand in the situation, and B, he has the ability to essentially impose his will, whatever he may please. So, however he may please. So, the writers already put us in a situation where we're gonna find out what this guy is like real quick. Because you can one easy way to dive deep, deep into a character is put them in a situation where they have power over another character, and how do they use that? Right. Um. So I mean, we can see pretty clearly right away that Ramsey Bolton is messed up on a on a mental level. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like his thoughts are messed up, and that's one way to show. Uh, you know, take a exercise in in you know kind of personality revealing like that that's one easy way to show yeah this character doesn't have much going on in there outside (laughs) of uh pretty pretty shitty stuff i want to ask you this though um one thing that's interesting with game of thrones is you find yourself angry or upset with characters often but i found in my experience that i was never angry uh i was for instance season five yes theon not doing anything on sansa's wedding night I was pretty upset with him, obviously. Yes. But that's because he has, or had, before he was Reek, <laughs> uh, a side to him that was human and complex, and he could be good, right. and he was such good friends with Rob, whatever. 
with Joffrey, when he does terrible things, I'm not necessarily angry about it because it's just, you know what I'm saying? I understand that right. he's just like out there. That's he's just who never, he is. Exactly. Is that something that, I mean, would you like, as you're watching, get angry or upset with the actions of Ramsey or, or Joffrey? Or is that just kind of like, ooh, that, that's how they exist? That's an interesting question. Yeah. Do you, do you take for granted right. their actions? Because I think it's the moral ambiguity that you discussed that is what fuels more emotion in the viewer. Right. Right. Exactly. No, you almost, you almost do consider them uh, control groups in, in terms of their evilness. Then when, <clears throat> when Jamie does something uh, after he's sort of gone on his uh, redemption arc, sort of his uh, humbling himself and having to build himself back up, uh, then when he does something bad, you're a bit more upset with them because you know they have the capacity to be, to be selfless in them. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I could uh, kind of pivot this to a question that I think is inherently interesting, Jamie... Uh, sacrifices his honor right for the lives of people who live in king's landing by killing uh the mad king right. he saved the lives of so many people at the same time sacrificing his honor so we kind of clearly see here that though we use honor as a general guideline for the uh for the ethics of the world um honor is not always uh going to feel right morally to these characters. Was there a moment that comes to mind with Joffrey or with Ramsay that you, as a viewer, come to the realization, like, there is no ambiguity here? So, there's, with Joffrey, there's absolutely one. Uh, it was when, when you wondered, it was actually the scene of his wedding. Here you are. Champion's purse. Though... You're not the champion yet, are you? A true champion defeats all the challenges. Surely there are others out there who still dare to challenge my reign? Uncle, how about you? I'm, I'm sure they have a spare costume. Um, where they sort of, <laughs> they, almost, they almost teased you with some level of like, oh, is he, now that he's like married, has, has Marjorie kind of mellowed him out a bit? Uh, Tyrion gets him this book uh, of the history of four kings. I forget who they are, but he gets him a book. Uh, but and and Joffrey sort of says, "Oh, now now is the time for reflection and learning." And then uh, and then Tywin comes in with a sword, and he's like, "You know what I should use this on is the book." Yeah. And he's kind of like, "Maybe I'll change." Psych. Yeah, just like, "Oh, I haven't developed it all." Right. For me, it was. Um... Sansa's wedding to Tyrion when he threatens her with, with rape and you kind of realize like A he could do that right and not only like B he could do that like you realize that his moral fabric to that point is such that it's not out of the question it would be consistent and his power yeah. in the show makes it so it's not out of the question and I remember being in that moment like damn like this is I think that's gonna happen like this yeah. is gonna be terrible yeah. um and that's yeah that's the moment where you realize Game of Thrones has created this character that is so uniquely evil and is consistently evil you know he's right. with the Ramsey storyline I think that's another thing where you know I feel like on TV the the, the lowest you can go in terms of moral problem problematic event is is obviously a rape scene and and i think with ramsey's moment on his wedding night that's another moment with sansa where you're thinking at least i was thinking to myself like 
maybe because Sansa is like from such a good family and his dad is so for this marriage right. and she's so beautiful, like, and he legitimately seems to think she's beautiful. Right. Maybe he's going to treat her with some more respect. And nope. then when he doesn't, you're just kind of, you have to come to the realization again, like, oh, damn, no, like Game of Thrones isn't playing around with yeah. this character. It's just through and through bad. It's, yeah, at every turn where there is, if you could break it down to a decision of, uh, but good thing, bad thing. It's just always he's always taking the bad thing uh, route and to to accomplish. And you know, it, it's hard to I suppose uh, creating an heir is is what he's trying to accomplish there. Uh, again, through the brutal and difficult to watch means. Uh, right. Uh, and yeah, it's it's there. Yeah, there are certainly opportunities where the the show teases the potential for for growth of these characters. Like I personally kind of viewed. Jamie at the very beginning the way that I viewed Joffrey and so it's 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 shown that there is the potential for uh you know development for these characters but but with those two characters in particular and Ramsey like we were just talking about they consistently make the choice to show he is a sack of human garbage this episode to Maeve Dunnigan, Anna Muckerman, Danielle Ohl, Jay Reed, John Powers, and Patrick Basler. Our outro music today is actually provided by Patrick. Uh, be sure to check out Common Six, a new mixtape by him and fellow Diversions writer Cam Neiman. It's on SoundCloud. It's great. It can be found on Neem's page. Uh, the song you're currently listening to here is titled Duchess. The Dive will be back in two weeks with an Oscar special. And as always, old episodes can be found on our SoundCloud page or at dbknews.com. I'm a master with the Duchess Getting plastered with the Duchess Tip guacamole with the crutches I crush it and she blushes I'm rolling up, got the scolding sound Got that molding stuff, about a quarter pound Everything we doing, we recording now Every portion of my portrait getting sorkin' down Hope I never go with the abortion route So I wear two rubbers on my Focus now, corporate, start exporting so they push the count I'm gonna get high more, fuck the gorgeous cloud But it's gorgeous out, said it's gorgeous out Honey, won't you tell me that it's gorgeous out How you gonna look that gorgeous pal? Shoot shot, break a leg, pull Georgia out uh. So I told you whispers, light as whiskers To dying mixers, violent whimpers in this I don't miss to have your moon walking through the bed